Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Duval, welcome into another episode of the Gin Jack Podcast. We finally got our soundboard working here, got our little intro music going. I'm Jordan DeLugo. I'm joined by Jeremy Markoski, as always. We haven't picked up the mic since our post-free agency episode, but we are back to preview the 2021 Jacksonville Jaguars draft. Today we had the um, pre-draft press conference with Urban Meyer and Trent Baalke, Jaguars head coach and GM. We will dive into that, and then we'll just preview the draft day by day, a look at a lot of the different options, look different routes the Jaguars could take, some of the pitfalls they may run into, all that good stuff. Um, we'd also had the NFL pass some rule changes, notably the uh, the numbers rule. So you're going to see some wide receivers, tight ends, linebackers, running backs, potentially wearing numbers uh, and the single digits. How do you feel about that, Jeremy? I think it's cool, man. I, I just, I don't really understand why we you know, need to restrict them anymore. I mean, the game is all about feel and, you know, there, there's, I think there's a really serious, I don't, I don't know if the word is, uh, what, what's the word for, for, you know, um, you know, baseball players are, they're, they're very superstitious. I don't know if it's like a superstitious thing okay. uh, with players and the numbers, but I mean, I, Hey, I'm all here for it. If, if it makes the players feel like they're playing better or the game is better or whatever, it's just a number. I like it. I think it adds a little bit uh, of a change to obviously a very old tradition that we've seen in the league. And it's fun. You know, that's all it is. It's, it's fun. Why can't they wear whatever number they want? You'll see a lot of guys, I think getting categorized uh, by different positions, maybe to get a, a number they want, you know, maybe like a defensive end is like an outside linebacker or something, you know, maybe to get that number five instead of having to, to wear the lineman numbers, but it'll be cool to see. Yeah, I feel bad for the linemen. You know, the offensive linemen, the interior defensive linemen, they might want to wear some single digits too. I don't know why you don't just let everybody in on the party, but um, it is what it is. You've also got no more overtime in the preseason, which is obviously a good thing. There's no need for you know overtime in a game that has no bearing on wins and losses or, or the outcome of the season or anything like that. So I think that's a good thing. Uh, some other rule changes that passed as well, but we don't really have time to get into that. This is a Jaguars show, and that is what we are going to focus on here today. Uh, be sure to check out ginjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. We've also got a lot of fun gear up on the site. You may or may not be seeing some new gear drop next Thursday at 8 p.m., um, so keep an eye out for that. And big thank you to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Ginjag podcast. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold City Brewery and check out their downtown location on East Bay Street and the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. Of course, make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jack. So earlier today, Urban Meyer, Trent Balky met with the media. 
Um, it was a pretty quick session. I think right about 20 minutes it ran. So um, they quickly answered a lot of questions and we will go ahead and kind of dive into some of what they talked about today. So Urban Meyer, he continues to be transparent from what I can tell. He talked about the desire to address needs and how he's having to lean on Trent Balky and the coordinators to kind of teach him about value-based talent acquisition instead of just going and getting positions that you need. He also talked about um, how he's nervous for his first NFL draft and how he gets pretty much nervous for any new um, events coming up that he hasn't been able to take part in before. So I think you're seeing a lot of transparency from Urban. Yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, it just shows that he's human. Um, and, and Urban, you know, due to his success and the, the coach he's become and, and the person he's become for the most part has been kind of put on this pedestal in the football world. You know, he, he's definitely up there. Uh, you know, when you talk about the top coaches really at any level, uh, when you just look at football as a whole, you know, he's one of those guys. So to see, you know, how his mind works, how he admits that he's got to learn more about the NFL and how things work. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. We know he knows the X's and O's, uh, and it's good to have support around him to help him with the other things. I don't see that as necessarily a negative thing uh, in any means. And, you know, the nerves, everything's there. He wants to win. I think we know what the goals are, where his mindset is. So he definitely should be nervous. I mean, you're about to take a bottom feeder in one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent sports leagues on the entire planet and hopefully turn them into a perennial contender. And that is a big, big task to take on. So you should be nervous. You know, there should be some uneasiness there, but also some excitement. Uh, And he's been transparent with everything, Uh, not only just his knowledge of, you know, the inner workings of, of the business side, but really of their plans. I mean, as transparent as he can be. And I don't necessarily know if that's him being completely open or if it's just been made so easy for him the fact that everything up to this point just about has been scripted for the Jaguars outside of free agency you know that obviously didn't go the same way you know that everyone here had hoped Um, but that's a little bit different we look at the draft and the things that are coming up you know that is is already set in stone we know where the Jags are going at number one you know there's no reason to put up any smoke or mirrors or or be non-transparent so it's a good look so far yeah, and I just appreciate like the honesty about being nervous about things and and you know, he doesn't really know how to go about trying to acquire talent based on value. So it is really cool just to kind of have some honesty from him there. Um speaking of, you know, what's gonna happen with the number one pick, they wouldn't officially commit to Trevor. Uh, Urban said that he and Trent will be meeting with owner Shad Khan later in the week to discuss that, and it'll ultimately be up to Shad Khan. But um, when asked about Trevor as a prospect, Trent Balky said, you know, there's no negatives to him and that all the stars have aligned when it comes to that type of prospect and it comes to Trevor Lawrence. So they are going to take Trevor Lawrence. Urban Meyer wouldn't be here. Uh, without that assurance when he came on board. So they are going to take Trevor Lawrence. I don't think we need to talk any more about that. But uh, what is interesting here for me, I kind of touched on it when we started. Urban Meyer, um, he, after talking about the need-based drafting or need-based talent acquisition, he talked about his desire for the top four players that they draft in the upcoming draft to be immediate impact players. 
Now, to me, that sounds like if this guy's going to make an immediate impact, he's probably going to have to play a certain position because there's certain positions where you're just probably not going to get to see the field this year or early on, at least because of entrenched starters. Do you get that same idea? I don't. I don't look at it from that perspective, and I'll kind of explain why, because I look at it a little differently. But the way I look at it is your first four picks are so early on in this draft. And, you know, that's obviously because of where you're picking, because of your record, because of all that stuff. You look at this roster top to bottom, there's some promise there, but it's not a world beater roster by any means. There's nobody, well, I don't want to say there's nobody, there's very few people on this roster um, that I would look at and say, no one can uh, take you out of your top spot in whatever position you're in through the draft. Or, you know, there's, there's, there's no... There are very few people on this roster that I can say that about. So to me, the way I look at it is the team is not great. We know that. We're picking in this position for a reason. These guys need to make immediate impacts because they have to. I don't think they really have a choice. So I guess you could look at it from that way. I understand what where you're coming from, that maybe you're kind of looking into it being a little bit more of like a wink-wink, you know, kind of maybe hinting at where they're going in the draft. But I think really anywhere you look at any position, top to bottom, that player needs to be expected to make an immediate impact if you're picked within those first four picks. For you know that that that's two in the first and two in the second. That is ideally where you're going to find four playmakers that you build your team around that you're going to re-sign down the road and they're going to be here for a while. So I think that's more, at least from my perspective, of what I got out of that comment. Yeah, and Trent Balky he went on to talk about how their board is based off of value and not based off of need at all. It's all based on the players and what they can bring to the table. Um, So with Trent really talking about the value board and then Urban kind of talking about needing to have impact players and Urban talking about how it's an adjustment for him, not going after the needs, I just think this is a situation and a scenario where they're going to have to work together and tiptoe this fine line between searching for immediate impact and trusting the board. That's going to be critical when it comes to their relationship, when it comes to this team's foundation of players. And I do think from Balky's perspective, it's definitely going to be, yeah, we want immediate impact guys, but that doesn't necessarily mean that um, we can't draft a certain position. But from Urban's perspective, I think it might be a little different. Urban's talked about how this organization is going to have to have complete alignment throughout their ranks. And I just think this is going to be critical to see how it plays out. I'm not burying them at all. I'm just saying this is something to monitor. Absolutely. I mean, top to bottom, you need to be uniform. The NFL football is such a team game. And I don't mean just the physical team, the players top to bottom. Like you said, the whole organization has to be aligned. Everything has to be done just right. Everything has to fit like a cog in the system. There's just so much there that that could potentially fracture and go wrong. I can understand where you might be nervous and something you definitely want to keep an eye on, but everything needs to be in sync, especially where, you know, in this specific situation, you're not starting from scratch, but you're as close to that as as you can. You need to make sure that you're building the foundation properly and it has to be sturdy. So you've got to be in sync on the same page, top to bottom front office through, you know, the 53rd man on the roster. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I do 
glean kind of from what Urban said today. I don't think you're going to see offensive line early. I personally would be a fan of taking an offensive lineman, depending on the fit, depending on who's there, you know, with those first four picks. But Urban kind of doubled, maybe even tripled down on how he really feels confident in this offensive line group, feels confident that they're going to play better under Coach George Warhop than they did in years past and with the rest of the new coaching staff and kind of talked about how he really, really likes the interior of the offensive line and some of the depth there. So for me, if you're talking about an immediate impact guy and Urban Meyer believes in Jawan Taylor, even though he's coming off a down year and believes in Cam Robinson, who's on a franchise tag, he's not going to find his way to the bench. It doesn't seem like, and you look at the interior, I really just can't see an offensive lineman going to Jacksonville in the first four picks. Yeah, I get where you where you got that from, and, and you read into those comments, you know, just like you explained, and and I can see where you came out with that conclusion. But for me, again, still, it's anybody can make an immediate impact. If you're better than the guy that's here, I don't care who you are, what position you play. And, and once you get down to 25, and we'll kind of talk about this a little bit more when we get into the draft, particularly the picks, who we're looking at, all that kind of stuff. If the best player available at that time is kind of dives right into the you know best player available versus the need aspect of the draft you take that guy you know you're still picking at 25 you should expect that player to be an immediate impact no matter what position he plays i will stand on that stone until until I'm i on. agree I, with you so so you 100%, know 100 but i don't know that within the confines of tiaa bank field that's going to be the same sentiment. Right, right, for sure. I definitely understand that. But, you know, from what I'm saying, and I know you agree, you just, you go get the guy. You know, if you get down there to 25 and it, you know, depending on how the draft plays out and that offensive lineman, you know, is the best player available, obviously it's not close to the best player available for a certain need. I think that's something that has to be weighed. Obviously you look at A, who is the best player available based on our pre-draft rankings, our scoutings, who's the best player available, that's A, and then B, who's the best player available at the biggest need? And then you weigh those two. And, and one always weighs a little bit heavier in my mind than the other. Um, and I think you can't pass up that opportunity down the road. There's actually a player here on my list that I watched some tape on today. I did a little bit of scouting for that I think specifically in that 25 spot, if he's there, if the draft plays out a certain way, you can't pass up on that guy. And we'll get into more of that later. Ooh, I'm excited to hear who that is. Can we just skip to that now? Hey, no, if you want to. Uh, we'll get through the rest of the presser. It's your show, so, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't bury the lead here. So um, I also talked to Urban. I asked him, um, you know, are they going to continue to add speed and playmaking, big playability on offense? He said they are absolutely going to do that. That's going to be a constant cycle every single year for the Jaguars. So that's another spot. Wide receiver, even though you've got three guys you feel really good about. You also feel pretty good about Colin Johnson and Jamal Agnew is going to be on the roster as the kick returner slash kind of gadget guy. I still think you could see a wide receiver with one of those top four picks. I'd almost be surprised if you don't just because of how much or a wide receiver or a playmaking running back with one of those top four picks. I'd be surprised if you don't see that just because Urban Meyer values that big playability so much and the Jaguars just didn't have it in 2020. I don't think it's a question of, of whether or not they get one. I just think it's when in those top four picks, you know, obviously you got to see who goes first and how things fall, but you absolutely need an explosive playmaker on the offensive side of the ball 
uh, pretty much at any position outside of quarterback and offensive line within those first four picks, the offense just wasn't great. Even with the stars, with the guys that they have out there right now, it wasn't great. And obviously Trevor Lawrence is going to change that, alter that at the most important position in the game. But like you said, there's not a lot of speed. There's not a lot of explosiveness. There's a few guys, but 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 you need more. And I think that they would be they'd be doing themselves a disservice to the entire offensive side of the ball if they don't go get an explosive playmaker in those first four picks. Whether it be tight end, running back, wide receiver, like you said, but there has to be one, and you have to make sure you don't wait too long uh, to miss out on a guy. Yeah, I think there will be at least one in those top four picks. Um, and I think after that, you'll see, if you don't see more than one in the top four picks, you'll definitely see some soon. I mean, there might that. even be two. It really depends on how yeah. it all plays out. I think this draft is so deep, especially when it comes to weapons. There are so many weapons in this draft, especially in the first two days. I think you've got to get, like you said, a, a couple. I wouldn't be surprised if there's two. Yeah, so then... Um, Moving on to the defensive front, Urban said he likes what they have there, but he's a guy that really kind of defines a team by what they have on the defensive line. He said he likes the edge class uh, in terms of depth a little bit more than the interior, but says there are definitely some quality interior guys too. He said they're not done there, so you're definitely going to see a defensive lineman, whether it be an interior defensive lineman, an edge player, maybe both come off the board for the Jaguars in this draft. I think unfortunately for this regime, they're going to be kind of pigeonholed into selecting very, uh, being very specific in their selection, especially when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. It has to be interior defensive line. I really don't see, and I don't, not to say I don't see a need, but again, okay, let's weigh what's available versus the biggest need on the team. We're talking about defense here. The biggest need is that interior defensive line, and that outweighs everything else, every other aspect by a mile, in my opinion. You've got young corners. You've got a couple young edge rushers. One that has proven that he can be very, very good if he has a top-notch season, and we're hoping he gets back to that form this year, and that's Josh Allen. You did not personally, but the regime before you invested an early first-rounder, or not an early first-rounder, but an early first a pick in the draft last year in an edge guy that you've got to see what's there before you just supplant him. And you obviously have a lot of young guys in the secondary. You went out and signed a safety. So you feel like you made an impact there. I don't see any scenario at all where the Jaguars go anywhere outside of the interior defensive line for their first defensive draft pick. Interesting. I could see it um, basically because... I think there's a ton of edge talent to be had in the second and third round. Whereas I think if you're talking about just a guy that can get in there and eat up some space on the interior, you might be able to find that later, even though this isn't considered a deep interior defensive line class. Those type of guys are just valued less on draft day, so therefore you could maybe get one later. It'll be interesting to see. I think if you're talking about a true impact interior defensive lineman, um, a guy that can play all three downs and really make an impact on the money down on third down, trying to push that pocket, then, you know, you might be on the money there with that needing to be the first defensive player selected. Right. And I may have not worded that exactly how I wanted to. Let me rephrase it a little bit. If you're going to make an investment early on the defensive side of the ball, it has to be an interior defensive line. 
Um, if you get later in, you know, into the draft, like you said, round three, round four, you get later in that way. Okay, I get it. It's going to be more of a depth pick anyway. There's not much expected out of that guy right away at least. But if you're going to make a defensive pick early on, it's got to be one of these top interior guys. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's just not a ton of them. We'll get more into that. Uh, they did touch today on medical red flags, how they'll handle that. If you don't know Trent Balky, he selected a ton of guys with knee injuries over in his time in San Francisco. So that was an issue there. Urban Meyer had an interesting answer to that, too, and I think it was very transparent. Um, he basically said a lot of the times where there's a player that um, struggles with injury history and that continues into the NFL, he thinks a lot of the time it has to do with either the player not being committed to uh, sports nutrition and sports science or the team that they're going to not being committed enough to making sure that player has all the right treatment. Obviously, there's other extenuating circumstances that happen. But I think his point is, you know, we're not going to be an organization that doesn't do a good enough job uh, when it comes to sports science and keeping these players healthy and getting them healthy. And I think it also went on basically to say they're not going to be drafting any players with uh, injury history that are not completely committed to making sure their body is right. That is a good twist on what he said. I would have not have looked at it from that perspective, but I couldn't agree more with what you just said right there. I mean, I think that's if if that's the way that he's looking at that based off what he said. I mean, he's just a deep thinker, man. But, you know, I understand where he's coming from. Uh, and even more so, medicine has changed so much over the past few years. You see guys coming back better than ever after these debilitating knee injuries. So as medicine starts to evolve and things start to change and you see guys have shown that they can come back better, stronger, faster, you know, just the player they were before, you know, I can understand that side of things and I can see that and I, and I can understand where they're coming from. You want to do all the due diligence, obviously, especially when you got guys coming out of college because I think that world – it's obviously a lot different than the NFL and the way they're keeping up with their players and their rehab and all that kind of good stuff. But there's always situations, you know, like Todd Gurley that kind of, you know, haunts you in the back of your mind a little bit. Great guy, had some injuries, shown that he could potentially be a really big time player in the NFL, but they eventually just caught up to him and, and the wear and tear was too much. So you got to be a little cautious there. That does happen. Yeah, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have the Miles Jack situation. He hasn't slowed down a bit, even though they said that his knee was a time bomb going into the draft. So it is interesting to see how that all plays out. I do think if you get guys with medical red flags coming into Jacksonville, they are really going to have been to have been vetted, and they're really going to get to the bottom of if they think that's a long-term situation or something that they can get past. But again, you can do as much sports science, sports nutrition, medicine that you want. Unfortunately, sometimes there's just going to be players that end up not working out due to injuries. And uh, that's just a fact of the violent game. It just is what it is. Now, that's it for the press conference. I think we talked about a good amount of topics there. So I think... Um, that's a really good recap, and if you want to watch the whole thing, you can, of course, check it out on the Jaguars website, YouTube, their social channels, all that stuff. But now it is time for us to get hot and heavy into the draft. The Jaguars have two picks on day one. 
picks number 25 and obviously number one. Um, they have three picks on day two, 33, 45, and 65. And then on day three, they've got one, two, three, four, five picks, 106, 131, 146, 171, and 251. We will start with day number one. Uh, Trevor Lawrence will be the Jaguars' number one overall pick. They will have their franchise quarterback in place. I think that um, it's great for Jacksonville, obviously. That is that is the most exciting draft pick the Jaguars will have ever had. Um, so I, we've talked about it kind of ad nauseum already, and we all know Trevor's coming to town. It's a very exciting time in Jacksonville. Um, he's got all the all the makeup of a franchise quarterback, the leadership, on-field ability, the off-platform, just big plays that he kind of pulls out of his hat. He, he's, a, he's a hell of a quarterback, and he's going to be the Jaguars quarterback for the foreseeable future. More important to talk about day on day one is what happens after pick number one. Trent Baalke, he's been very active when it comes to draft day trades. I wouldn't be surprised to see a trade at any of the Jaguars selections after number one, to be completely honest. Uh, I think some early day two movement is more likely than at 25, but still I wouldn't be surprised either way if the Jaguars are moving up and down the board. I would hope that they've got some sort of movement going. Again, you've got 10 picks. You've got the capital. You should maximize that. I think we're at a point here where – you're starting to shape the roster. I, I think that in their mind, they believe they're most of the way there, just based off the fact that they're not going after really anybody else in the free agency market that's still available and out there because there are still some playmakers out there, some impact guys that I'm still kind of scratching my head asking why. Why have we not grabbed a few of these guys? But it seems like, in my opinion, that means that they're in their mind that, that the roster is getting where they want it to be. So, if that's the case, I think a lot of teams are just going to be waiting too until after the draft. And that might be so. It's a different year. You know, again, we've we've talked about this a million times. We haven't seen a year like this, an offseason like this, you know, a draft like this. Everything's new with this whole coronavirus thing that we're going on. So that might be the case. But if it's not, and they do think that they've got the roster somewhat figured out, then you need to start maximizing some of these late round picks, you know, some of these mid round picks bunch them up, move up to get more impactful guys in the, you know, first, second, third rounds. I don't think you need, you know, four picks after round four or five. You just you just don't. Those are guys that right. are going to be depth or fringe guys. And I think you need more impactful guys. They're talking about having guys that are going to make immediate impacts. Go get more of those guys. Why limit yourself? You have enough. You have the resources. Go do it. Yeah, I still think it was a mistake to draft 12 players last year. And I don't think that they need to trade up all over the place. But if they don't get at least one trade up to go get a guy they really like, I think that is a a little bit of a wasted opportunity. I think at a minimum, they should at least get another pick in the second and another pick in the third. I'm not saying that you have to jump into the first. I know what that's going to cost. I would be a huge proponent of that. But don't you feel like at least one more pick in the second, one more pick in the third would be sufficient and it wouldn't be too much yeah, to ask be fantastic or even just one of those things would be fantastic i think you have enough to do you know like you said a couple moves you're not gonna be going crazy but come on give me something yeah i do get the idea of you know having more throws at the dartboard you know the more picks you have obviously but the odds of them working out after the first second third round really really go downhill quickly and 
I am a proponent of trading, not always trading up, but in this situation, when you have the draft capital, you do the 11 picks, you got to trade up at least once or twice. Um, But we're here at 25. We don't know how it's going to play out. There's a lot of uncertainty ahead of the Jaguars in the draft. And there's a lot of uncertainty with what's going to happen in rounds two and three as well. It's really a fascinating year. But what are the Jaguars' options at 25? I really don't think you're going to see a line, but I am curious. You talked about it, uh, teased it earlier, if you will. Who is your guy that you studied today that you think is a, a home run at 25? I did a guy that I looked at today and I think may shock some people and that I've been looking at a little bit more as we get a little bit closer because I feel like there may be a solid chance that he's there at 25 is Tevin Jenkins. He is a huge, huge body offensive tackle. I think at this point in the draft, if he's still there, if he has made his way down the board at 25, this is right down the alley of drafting based on best available. And based on need, I don't think anyone's going to argue this guy isn't at least a top 20 talent in this draft. 6'6", 320 pounds. Watching him today, one of the games I, I focused on the most was, was Texas. He did a lot of great work against Texas, but he's got a Joseph great... Osai. Yeah, and, he, and, he, and the the versatility is a huge thing for me. They showed some clips today of him playing left and right tackle, and I think he attacked both sides uh very well. I think he would benefit more from being a right tackle. Uh, he's more of a power tackle, you know, the guy you're going to run behind, at least from my perspective. But that's okay. This comes down to best player available for me. And when I look at the draft board, if this guy falls to you, you're not reaching. I think you're getting a steal here, first of all. I don't think there's anybody else. You're taking shots on other guys around him, Rondale Moore, some of these other guys, some of these fringe guys who you think are going to be very explosive players, but I think there are a few guys just like them down in the draft a little bit further, but I think Tevin Jenkins separates himself as one of the top offensive linemen, not even just offensive tackles in this draft. And because of that versatility, because of that power of what I saw, I think he can play inside as well. And I think this isn't going to be, a, oh, well, we have Cam Robinson. You know, we want to see what he can do. Obviously, we just signed him to the tender. And we have Jawan Taylor. We've, we've spoken our support for him, and he's only two years in. Let's see what we got in him. This is a guy that I think you could put at right guard if A.J. Can is not performing or if someone goes down. I think he can make an immediate impact. He doesn't have to play outside. I don't think that they should pigeonhole a guy like that into only being a left tackle or only being a right tackle. I get the NFL is a little more complicated. There's money involved, and those positions are paid differently. I get that. But just from like what I was seeing, his run blocking, he always kept his eyes downfield. You could just see his helmet, even though he was you know, locked up, making contact, he was eyeing the backers downfield, looking for his next move. He, he flowed through the levels of the defense very well. He was finishing blocks. I didn't see a single play. Obviously, I was watching you know, his tapes. They're not showing necessarily the worst stuff, but I didn't see a single play where he didn't finish a block. You know, the, the, the ball's down the field, 15, 20 yards, and he's still putting guys in the ground. And, and again, the versatility, he never gives up on a play, and he's massive. I think you could put him anywhere on the offensive line, and he'd be a total steal for the Jaguars at 25. I love Tevin Jenkins. Absolutely love him. He's my 17th-ranked player in this class. Um, he is absolutely one of those guys that if he's there at 25, I would have a really hard time passing up. Like you said, he has positional versatility. He's an excellent run blocker. He's a better athlete than given credit for. I think his pro day kind of showed that. 
he gets out in space and moves very well as a as a blocker or run blocker. So I think that's a a, situ- a scheme fit for Urban Meyer is going to want to run a lot of zone concepts. I think Jenkins falls in line with that. And above everything, he is just mean as hell. He is burying edge players left and right. Every game you watch, he just plays with a mean streak. And then you look at the guy off the field, he's like the nicest looking offensive lineman you've ever seen. I love Tevin Jenkins. And if he's there at 25, he is absolutely one of the guys the Jaguars should strongly be considering. Um, I'll bring up another guy that maybe is the guy that gets most commonly mocked to the Jaguars at 25. I actually have him ranked ahead of Tevin Jenkins. That is safety Trayvon Merrick from TCU. Um, If it's between Tevin Jenkins and Trayvon Merrick, both are on the board, which who knows how it's all going to play out. Both of them could be gone at this point. But if it's between those two guys, I'm going with Merrick just because I do think safety is a position where you could probably make more of an immediate impact for the Jaguars. Not that Tevin Jenkins couldn't come in and make an immediate impact, but I just think there's no clear pathway for him starting in year one. It's a process. It's a thing where they like their offensive line. Trayvon Merrick, you get him in here, him and Rashawn Jenkins are your starting safeties. And this is a guy, he is a good athlete, not an excellent athlete at the safety position, which is why instead of being a blue chip prospect for me, he's just outside of that range. But he's a very good athlete for the position, uh, super instinctual, always assignment sound. He is good in the run game. He's not like an enforcer at safety, but he is a sure tackler at safety. He got much better uh, at form tackling and wrapping up ball carriers uh, in his final season at TCU. And in coverage, this is a guy that can line up single high, split zone, cover tight ends, slot corner or slot receivers. And uh, he's a he's a ball hawk. He's had 20 pass breakups over the last two seasons and six interceptions. I think he would be a home run as well. Who is your ideal 25th pick? So let's say, you know, obviously, you know, Jamar Chase isn't falling to 25, but you've got that bubble of guys, you know, that you have an idea may or may not be there. There's, there's a potential for him to be there at least. Because yeah. for me, it's Barmore. I don't think he'll be there, but if he is there at 25, I would definitely go there. Um, but yeah. who, who's your ideal? You know, if you had to narrow it down to one of those guys, who are you taking at 25? Barmore would be on my short list. So guys that I think have a realistic chance of falling to 25 that are above that in my rankings. Obviously, I think Caleb Farley and Jalen Phillips have a chance because they both have medical red flags. Um, Caleb Farley is my top-ranked cornerback. Obviously, we have to note that he has the back injuries. I don't think that that's going to go away. Back injuries usually don't. Jalen Phillips, he's the best edge rusher in this class by a mile, in my opinion, but he has the concussion history. I don't know what the team doctors are going to say about either of those guys, but if either of them fall to 25, you have to take a long, hard look. Um, I don't think Elijah Vera Tucker will fall to 25, but he's another guy like Tevin Jenkins. I have him rated ahead of Tevin Jenkins because I think he's more elite as a interior offensive lineman than Tevin Jenkins is as an offensive tackle or interior offensive lineman. I definitely think Jenkins is a better tackle than Vera Tucker. Tucker has 32-inch arms, so that's just going to be a problem out dealing with those long-edge players. Um Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the linebacker from Notre Dame, he definitely shouldn't fall to 25, but he's one of those positionless football type of guys. 
maybe some scheme fits from teams scare him off or um, you just don't know where to play him and that scares you, but he's a guy that should not fall to 25 either. Um, any of these receivers, obviously, if they fell, Rashad Bateman, Devonta Smith, he came in at 166 pounds. Poor guy, bless his soul, he keeps losing weight. But uh, any of those guys, I just think they'd be home runs. It's a good, it's a good list. I know that's a long window. No, that's, no, 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 that's a good list. I, because the thing here is, I think this it's going to keep pointing back to this time and time again. This draft is deep, especially within the first, I think, 45, 50 players. You really can't go wrong. Even past that, man. Yeah, there's I so just, much talent. You're gonna. There's more questions later on, obviously, but yeah. Unless you totally whiff, totally reach, or the guy that you drafted 25 is a total bust. I think there's no way that you're getting a guy at 25 that you don't think is going to be an impact player. I just, I, I don't. You look at this list. There are more impact players on this list than there are picks before us. I think it's just, it's the tail tape. You're going to get somebody who's going to be impactful, whoever it may be. Yeah, and all of those guys I just mentioned, I have rated or ranked in front of Christian Barmore, but I do have Christian Barmore at 23. Um, there's some inconsistency. Um I think it has more to do with maybe effort or conditioning than it actually does with talent. And then also, uh, Bama has so much talent up front. I think that sometimes they were using other guys as your uh, first and second down run stuffers and leaving Barmore off the field to make sure he's ready to go rush the passer um, in critical situations. So I think if you get him, maybe he needs to get in better shape. I'm not sure. But if you get him in your system, with his talent level, his ability to penetrate gaps and just kind of manhandle uh, offensive linemen, and he's a hell of an athlete for his size. Um, if you look at a guy like that as a coach and you're not like, man, get this guy in my system, I want to coach him up, I think you're crazy. And he's a type of guy that has the skill set to contribute immediately because the Jaguars, for as much depth as they have up front on the defensive line, I don't think they have the the interior pass rush. I think they have very good run stuffers. I think um, obviously Malcolm Brown is an excellent run stuffer. I think Devon Hamilton will trend more in that direction as he progresses. And I think Doug Costin's really good there too, Roy Robertson Harris. So Christian Barmore, he brings a skill set of penetration, of getting you off the field on third down. And I agree with you, it'd be hard to pass him up at 25. And that benefits him so much, the way our defense line is constructed, like you just said. Because you're going to be able to put him in a position to succeed, especially if you're using him as that pass rush interior specialist early on. You know what for defense, it's easy to go out there and know what you're doing. You know, as a defensive specialist, again, if you put him in that pass rush specialist role, I'll tell Taven Bryan. Well, okay, we're not gonna. That's <laughs> that's a. Oh. Man, I, oh, if we sorry. don't ever have to talk about him again, I, don't, I just side note, I, man, we're gonna have to at some I point. I know you're gonna get cut or God make the team. Bless. But anyways, you know, on, <laughs> on offense, it's all about keeping the defense guessing. On defense, in certain situations, it's all about I know what the offense is doing. I'm pinning my ears back, and I'm going to get the ball. You know, Barmore's gonna go out there, especially early on, if this is how everything goes, and he's gonna be out there on third downs. He's going to be out there on long distance downs. And all he's going to have to do is know that I'm going to get the passer here. Get to the passer. They're, they're throwing the ball. 
and, and, and go for it. I think that would be huge for him, at least to get into the league and start to get, you know, reps and, and get comfortable because one, if you know exactly what you're doing, there's no guessing. I think that you you become 10 times more effective that way. Yeah, I'm with you a hundred percent. So uh, I would love to see Tevin Jenkins. Like you said, I just don't think they're going to take an offensive lineman. And I'd love to be wrong about that. I've said it. Tevin Jenkins would be one of my top, you know, wish list guys at 25. Ultimately what I think you're going to see here, and this is kind of a long list of positions that they might address, but I think it's either going to be wide receiver, which I think the guys that make the most sense potentially there are Elijah Moore and Kadarius Toney. I like Terrace Marshall, but he's kind of fits more in the mold of what they already have. And it came out that he has some, um, uh, some bone issues in his legs today from the combine medical checks. So that's going to be another red flag. I need to dive deep more into that. I did not hear about that. What did they they release any more information on that? There is, he's just had like, he had a, he had a leg. He broke his leg in high school right? and he's had issues with it since then. And that popped up. So, um, okay. Yeah. It's something to keep an eye on with Terrace Marshall. Maybe he could fall into the second round or, you know, later in the second round um, and be a value. Uh, I think tight end could be in play. The only guy that's going to make sense is Pat Fryermuth. A lot of people think he would be a reach at 25. I think he would be the slightest of reaches. Like he's ranked at 29 for me, which is right in between 25 and 33. But if he's your guy, which he very well could be because, let's face it, Urban Meyer recruited him, got turned down. He goes to Penn State plays for Tyler Bowen, who's now the Jaguars tight end coach. I mean, there's so many dots that connect there. And he's about as sure-handed as can be. Um, He's an underrated athlete, in my opinion, at the position. So I could definitely see that there. Running back, I would not be surprised if Travis Etienne is the pick at 25 if he's still on the board because the familiarity with Trevor and Urban has talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. He wants speed. He wants big playability. I mean – Travis Etienne is a walking big play. While I disagree with you in regards to the running back being picked there, I've kind of faded away from... I don't want from... that to happen. I'm not a running back in the first-round guy. That's like right. anti-my brand, but I could see it. No, I, t- I could totally see it. I- I'm-, I'm fading further away from you know, supporting that decision. The-, the closer we get to the draft, I just I don't think that you take that move right there. But if there had to be a guy that you did take at 25, Etienne's the only answer. I mean, he's the only guy that does it all. Really, in my right. opinion, the guys out of this draft are one or the other. You've got a couple great receiving elusive backs in here, and you've got some great power backs too, I think. But you've only got I one mean, guy that does think it all. Javante or Najee would come in and help as well, but they just don't add anything that you don't already have, in my opinion. Yeah, they don't do it all. There's only one guy that does it all, and, and that's ETN. Yeah, so I think that could be in play. I really would not be surprised to see just an electrifying running back coming in here. Um, you don't really think Edge is probably going to be in play. I could see it if the right guy is there, like a Jalen Phillips falling due to medical. Um, Quiddy Pay, if he fell to 25, or Aziz Ojolari, I just think those guys would be kind of like the Tevin Jenkins situation where it is just they're too good to pass up on. Um, I think that could happen, certainly. And then the – Safety, I mentioned Trayvon Mayrig. I don't think there's another guy I would consider at 25, although some people do think Richie Grant is a first-round safety. We'll talk a little bit more about him for the second round. Uh, 
A potential surprise to me would be if Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa or Zayvon Collins is on the board. Both linebackers, two different players, very different players. But I think both of those guys could really fit in a Joe Cullen scheme, doing a lot of multiple stuff up front. And I think that would be interesting an interesting twist if the Jaguars potentially took one of those guys at 25 or even 33. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think you can rule out the edge or anything in regards to that. Because, again, we go back to how deep this draft is. I want to play a little game with you here. Um, as I'm looking at, at this list a little bit more in depth, trying to see you know, who could potentially fall. You're going to have somebody, I think, who falls that's going to surprise you. But even in, if you don't or you have other you know, your, your eyes set elsewhere, listen to the names that come after the 25th ranked player. And this is from CBS, from CBS Sports. You tell me if you think any of these guys are a reach at 25. Asante Samuel too here. Okay. Asante Samuel Jr. Slight reach, but not not egregious at all. Okay. JC Horn. Not yeah. But then you get not a reach. Okay. Osai. Joseph Osai. Slight reach. Zaven Collins. But like Osai, I think is like he's a very similar prospect to um Caleb on Chase on last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, excellent athlete. I think Chason has more bend. I don't think he's as um, upright, and I think he just has more flexibility. But, yeah, very similar prospect to Chason. But my, my point here is I, I personally, and I know that may, okay, some of these are Sante Samuel, maybe a little bit his size, but I think he's still a player. I really don't think player. it's much of a reach. Like, he's in, he's in the 40s. Yeah, he's in the 40s for me, but – that's just because there's so many good players. Kind of like that's your point, I think. There's just so many good players. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I could look at this and say Samuel, Horn, Zayvon Collins. Um, and I think Horn's going to end up probably going prob- like 10 to the Cowboys or something yeah, like that. Yeah, ETN, Terrence Marshall, Alex Leatherwood, if Tevin's not there, Jamin Davis. I mean, some of the – Elijah Moore. Yeah, I love Davis. He's my 25th ranked player exactly. Actually. One of those guys is going to creep up into the first round, and I don't think any of those guys I would be disappointed in if the Jags took him at 25. It's, there's so yeah, much depth. Yeah, those guys, it, yeah, it boggles my mind. Now, the only one that I disagree with, and I, I've said this so many times, and I'll say it again, is Friermuth, man, the shoulders. I love the connection with Bowen, with, with Bowen being here to coach the tight ends now. I think that's a seamless transition, but as a tight end, I just can't get past the, the shoulder issues. Yeah, I really it's can't. tough, and he's coming off that right now. That's why it didn't work out at his pro day. Um, uh, I feel you there, and that would be one of those. We talked about the medical checks with the Jaguars and how they're going to handle that. That would be one where they have to feel really comfortable with with where it's at right now, and obviously he's a super hard worker. I don't think it's any question about right. if he's going to work hard to get past the injuries. It's Is the injury an issue moving forward at this point? And yeah, I, I get a lot why people don't love Fryermuth 25 talk. Um, I think at 33, though, uh, that'd be, I'd have to think long and hard at 33 about passing on Pat Fryermuth just because not only how good he is and his connections with the team and how hard of a worker he is, all that good stuff, but just also the positional scarcity in this draft at tight end. It ain't pretty. There's some guys that could work out later on, but it is not pretty for the tight end class this year. And consider you have 33, 
you can most likely get two of those guys that we just listed, you know, in all reality. Yeah. All these guys that we're looking at, there are more guys available between 25 and 33 that we would opt to take at both of those picks to the point to guarantee that we can get both of them, if that makes sense. Yeah, Did there's I explain like that properly? guys that we would be happy with there. Yeah. That's kind of the point. I mean, yeah, so it's, it's just crazy. You're going to be able to get both of them unless you totally screw up. I, I just can't see it. They, they could not evaluate so poorly that they're not getting one of these guys in this bracket from one to 50 in those three picks, you know? I'll tell you a couple players that I think could go in that range that I would not be stoked about. Yeah. Like who, who would bust your board? That's a good question. We haven't talked about that a lot. You know, who do you think has the hype? That's Uh, just not going to pan out. I would not want to see them take, Actually, both of these guys I want to talk about are edge rushers. I would not want to see them take Jason Oway at 25. Um, he is an absolute freak physically, athletically, but and he's actually a very good run defender. Sets the edge very well. But the dude doesn't know how to rush the passer. Bottom line. And I, I just don't think you can draft a guy at 25 that just doesn't know how to rush the passer this year. I'm not in on that. There's too many good players to do that. And there's too much depth down the down the line with this edge class, in my opinion, to do that as well. And then another guy where you just have no clue where he's going to end up going is um, Gregory Rousseau from Miami. Started out this whole draft process as like considered a top 10 type of pick. He had 15 and a half sacks in 2019 as a redshirt sophomore. Used to play wide receiver a lot more than he did defensive end in college. But um, so he's huge. He, very tall, very lengthy, plenty of weight on him. Obviously had the production. But if you just watch the tape, he just looks lost on most plays. Like, yeah, there's some cleanup plays for him where he's able to get to the quarterback after a few seconds or use his length and uh, kind of kind of speed to, to make a play. But I don't see a guy that is going to be able to come in and contribute because you don't know that he's going to be able to just even know what he's doing on a down by down basis and have a plan to execute what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. I'm not a fan of him either. I, I mean, am I, I'm not a fan of any of the edges there personally. So that's just how I would look at it. But guys that kind of concern me and I know I just named him as a guy that I wouldn't be too bad or too mad that, that we picked, but Asante Samuel does have concerns with the size. I think he's a dog. I think he's going to be a great player, but you know, you have to be a little concerned there with with, with him not even breaking six feet at the position he's Yeah, playing. but I mean, if you're going to plug him in as your slot corner, I think you can feel really, really good about that. Yeah, and that's fair. A guy who I would Do you not... need your slot corner at 25? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Positionally, he would fit. You know, the, just the size brings in a little bit of, of concern. A guy that I would not like to see at 25 is Kadarius is Tony. I don't... I personally don't think that he surpasses some of the other receivers that that he's being mocked over at all when it comes to skill. I think he benefited a lot. Yeah, I definitely don't think you take him over like Elijah Moore. Yeah, no, I couldn't. No I couldn't see that. I think he benefited a lot from the multiple weapons at Florida. Um, you know, it gave him. I think, you know, the eyes weren't 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 always on him, and and you know, a, a guy like Najee, who I think will be the first. In my opinion, I think he'll still end up being the first back off the board. I think ETN. Yeah, I don't think he gets past Pittsburgh at twenty-four. Yeah, but I, I just maybe in the right fit, he's gonna be good. But that's not a guy that I would 
like to see them take a 25, obviously, just something we talked about. Oh, a back, maybe. But I don't think he's a guy that's going to play out like everyone hopes either. I really don't. Yeah, I think I think he's going to be a good runner. But again, I don't I don't value drafting running backs in the first round. So um, yeah, so twenty five and thirty three, so many options. Um, when you get into you know looking at thirty three and forty five, more moving on from twenty five, getting into day two, I think. Uh, the top the top of day two is usually where there is a lot of movement in terms of trade, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them move down from 33 or up from 45. So um, that's definitely something to keep an eye on, just kick day two off. Again, day two, they also have pick number 65 in round three, and they don't have another pick on that on, in day two, even though you're going to get to around 100 with the compensatory picks before the start of day three. So... Trading back into day three, I think, would also be – or excuse me, back into day two at the end of round three, I think, could also be on the board for the Jaguars um, when you talk about trading up. Uh, in this range, 33, 45, 65, uh, tight end does make sense, I think. If Friar Muse still there at 33 or 45, I think you look at that. Uh, he's just got such good hands, and I, I could talk about him all day. I think he's being undervalued now. The medical check is obviously important, as you mentioned, with that shoulder. Um, for me, if we're going to talk tight end and not talk about Pat Fryermuth, my next guy is going to be Tommy Trimble, and I'd be comfortable taking him at 45 or 65. I don't think he'd be the absolute best value there, but when you talk about needing to get that tight end position fixed, Trimble, I think, could go a long way to helping you out there. That's so funny because guess who the next guy was on my list here for the later rounds? Uh, not necessarily where you, where you have him at. I think we can get him a little bit later, but it was Tommy Tremble. You know, I wanted to take a look at some tight ends today. Tight end is one of the biggest needs on the team, if not the biggest need on the team outside of quarterback. But we know where we're going there. I had to say it because I'm sure someone's going to come behind us and say, "Well, you're you're, you're wrong." Yeah, yeah, we need a quarterback first. What do you mean? We know that we're getting one. Relax, but yeah, tight end and. and Obviously, in a perfect world, in my opinion, you go get Kyle Pitts, you move up, you 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 know, you don't have to worry about that. But that's not gonna happen. I think as the draft gets closer, I'm starting to realize he's gonna be a top five and, and there's too much there. I'm not a big fan of Fryermuth, and Brevin Jordan just hasn't shown me enough to really blow me away. So Yeah, I liked Brevin Jordan's tape, but his testing was really bad and um you know his comp for a lot of people, was Jonu Smith, but Jonu Smith tested like a freak. Interesting. My so, my, my comp for him was more Jordan Reed. Um, again, that's another guy that tested just way way better than Brevin Jordan. Yeah. I th- so it's a little concerning. I think I could still take him in the third round, but I don't think I'd go for him in round two. But from what I saw today from Tremble uh, and and watching some of his his tape from last season at Notre Dame, the only and this is why I think he falls down a little bit more. I don't think you can go up and get him. He doesn't run the best routes. His routes are very rounded. I don't want to say sloppy, but they're just kind of, they're not tight. They're not brisk. I get it. He's not the quickest guy. That's the only thing really that I he's see raw. there. Hmm? He's raw. Yeah, he's, he's very raw. Well, he, he, well he, he had to sit 
you know, he, he didn't get a lot of playing time until I think he only had 35 receptions his whole career. Right. Um, yeah. So he kind of got screwed because Cole Komet was Cole there Komet. Mm-hmm. and older than him. And then they got a guy in this year. I don't remember his freshman. name, but he's like yeah. crazy freshman tight end. Yeah. So. so he didn't benefit from that. That's, a, that's unfortunate for him. But I did see some good stuff in there. Like I said, the route running is not great. and He doesn't have elite speed, but it seems like he has soft hands. You know, he, he yeah. went on, got the ball. You didn't see anything yeah, bounce off his He's a good hands. enough athlete. I think he's a better athlete than Brevin Jordan. I don't know about that. Uh, he se- he seemed a little stiff. He tested a little better. But he's a tight end. You know, he, he's a tight end. You're not you're not going to get, obviously, Jamar Chase out there, you know, at the yeah, tight end I'll position. I'll tell you what he does do, though. He will lay the wood yes. blocking in space. He does. you love to see that. And he does not go down. That's what the biggest – I wrote in all caps. Does not go down. Makes every catch just about. He's a big body, 6'4", 247, but he looks, he lo- does not look that big. When I looked at him earlier, he looked a lot smaller than that. I was thinking maybe he's like. kind of got a lean build. Yeah, 6'2", 220, but, but, he, but he's listed at 6'4", 247, 250 if you want to round up. So he's a big guy, big body, but yeah, man, he needed multiple guys to bring him down pretty much on every catch and run opportunity that he had. If he was in the open field, if he was coming out of the backfield, you know, he he was dropping the shoulder. He was he was initiating contact. He wasn't taking contact. And he was a tough tackle man. I enjoyed watching his film today. I think he'd be a great addition to the team. Um I hadn't really watched much of his tape, you know, prior to today. And we had talked about it in the past. And you know, I even said that I hadn't really seen much of him. But after today, I think he's great down there. Maybe third round fourth round if he falls i don't think he's gonna be a guy that you go up there and get at the second round necessarily um but i think he'd be yeah, great second round would be a little bit of a reach for me on tremble but at 65 i think that would make a lot of sense yeah when, when i look at the second round you know maybe let's talk about 45 because i think 33 is kind of set i like a guy like yeah, like carlos basham in my opinion oh yeah and, and the reason carlos why Bash. is because i think he's i think he's a tweener He's big, like what, 6'5", 285, something like that. He's fast for his size. He can bend the edge, uh, you know, and he's, he's just big. He's massive. I think you can put him inside, especially, you know, as a third down uh, interior pass rush kind of guy. I think you can line him up outside. I think you can stand him up. I think he's going to have an impact in multiple facets of the game. I like Carlos Basham Jr. a lot. I do too. He's actually my 44th ranked player, so that's right in the perfect range for that. Um, and again, I think if he was in like last year's draft class with that edge rush group, he could have easily been a first round pick. Um, I think Quake Forest didn't all always know how to use him quite properly, kind of like how Pay suffered from that at Michigan a little bit. But yeah, Carlos Basham, um, people that are his size should not be able to move the way he does. He's a special specimen. And I think at 45, that would be a home run type of pick. I think you could have him lined up, you know, as a big end. I think you could have him rush the passer from the interior. I think you could even get him lined up um, in a two-point stance and going after the passer. Uh, He can win in a lot of different ways. And who doesn't like a good nickname? Boogie Basham. (laughs) I love him. Um, So, yeah, and then a couple other spots that I think would really make sense at 45. If you don't get um, a running back before this point, which I think there's a good chance they won't, um, if Javante Williams is somehow there at 45 still, 
that would just be fantastic because I think he could be the third back off the board, even though he's my number one back. And I actually have him ranked in my top 15 overall players. Not that I would advocate drafting him in the top 15, but this is just pure ranking based on what I see. uh, And like, are these players going to be good NFL players? I think there's no question that Javante Williams is going to be that. He's James Robinson with more juice, in my opinion. And uh, that's kind of a scary thought considering James Robinson did what he did as a rookie last year. So I think if he fell to 45, even though he's not really a different uh, mold of running back, he's just one of those guys kind of like Tevin Jenkins where he's too talented to pass up at 45. I also wouldn't mind them bringing in his backfield mate at 45 or 65, Michael Carter. He's my third ranked running back ahead of Najee Harris, actually. Wow. I think he reminds me of like a mix between Dalvin Cook and a uh, uh, Alvin Kamara. He's not quite as big as either of those guys, but the play style in terms of the shiftiness and the contact balance, he averaged over eight yards a carry last year. <laughs> he's incredible. He's 5'8", 208, something like that. Um, so he's a, he's a really fun running back. I think he would make the most sense at 65 if you could get him there. And I think he would bring something really different to the Jaguars offense. Because even Etienne, we talked about him with his speed and big playability. He's a straight line runner. He's not like a shifty guy that's going to make people miss. He just has great contact balance too. He can run through arm tackles and run past you. Carter, he is that different type of guy where he's shifty but also has the contact balance. I just love him. He's one of my favorite players in this class. Yeah, I think if you're going to go get a, a running back, I don't think you're going to get a banger. I don't think you're going to get a James Robinson type, which I see kind of really as as the guys are going to be available to you there. So I think by default, it kind of drops you down a little bit on the totem pole when it comes to to running backs. But if you do want to go get another banger, a guy like that, a guy like a James Robinson, I think you can wait a little bit and go get a guy like Trey Sermon. But again, I don't, I don't, I I don't think you, I don't think you do. I think you go get one of those different guys. I think you need to have different options. So guys that stand out to me still, if we're talking about running backs here for a second, later down in the draft would be a guy like Kenneth Gainwell. Um, even a guy like. And Gainwell he, for me, he's just going to be an offensive weapon, right? Like I think he might be a better receiver than he is running back. And that's fair, but that, that's a different aspect that James that's Robinson. Not a problem. I'm not saying that's a problem. Right, right, right. That that's the different aspect that I'd like to see them pair up with James Robinson. But then again, you know, you get into the issue of, you know, Again, from the defense's perspective, the offense needs to trick you as much as possible. And I think once you get into the very clear cut first and second down versus third round, third down back, you get into a little bit of trouble there. Um, but even a guy, so like Chuba Hubbard is a guy that is a little bit bigger, but I think he's still shifty as hell. And I think that he's a guy who could be very explosive later in the draft. But because of that, because I think you need to look a little bit later, there are guys out there that I think you go get at 45 if they haven't been taken yet. Guys like Zayvon Collins, guys like Jamin Davis, yeah. um, maybe Greg Newsom if he's still around. Is that Greg Newsom? Oh gosh, yeah, I think he's going to be a first rounder too. I do as well, but you know, they can't all. Something is going to have to change if these guys somehow make it down to you. Those are guys that I obviously want to look to first. Even J.C. Horn, I think he's slowly going to start falling more than people think. I think that that some of these cornerbacks are going to start to to jump 
up the board a little bit. I think you're going to see J.C. Horn fall on draft day. I think he has a great chance of being there at 45. So because you have James Robinson, if those guys are there, I think you have to, to kind of divert your attention elsewhere. Those are guys that I would yeah, look at at 45. They definitely shouldn't reach for a running back. I do have Michael Carter ranked pretty highly. But um, but that's the best available, and that's the best weapon, then you go for it. I don't argue that yeah. at all whatsoever. Positions of need at this point, though, you know, all of this stuff is going to depend on what they do prior to this. But I think when you look at safety, we've kind of talked about that a little bit with Trayvon Merrick. I mentioned Richie Grant. He's my 42nd ranked player. That is a guy that can he can do everything at safety. And I mentioned Merrick is more of kind of like a good form wrap up tackler. Richie Grant can he can lay the wood. He can legitimately lay you out, mm-hmm. and he can also cover man to man. He was covering receivers at the Senior Bowl playing cornerback. Um, so he's a guy that not quite as good of an athlete as Mayrig, in my opinion. But coming out of UCF, he plays football the right way. I think ninety percent of his tape is just awesome, like almost a highlight reel. And then the other ten percent, though, I kind of see some areas where. I don't know if he's just having mental mistakes, the scheme isn't working out right or what's going on, but there's just kind of some huh type of plays. I just don't really know what happened there or why that happened because um, he certainly has all the physical ability. I think if he's there at 45 and you haven't gotten Mayrig or someone else makes a lot of sense. I also like Javon Holland at this spot out of Oregon. Mm-hmm. He played a lot more uh, nickel cornerback than he really did safety, even though most people think of him as a safety. But if you can get a guy that can play nickel cornerback and safety, I think he makes sense for that role. I also think Elijah Molden from Washington makes a ton of sense for that role. He's a guy that projects more to play nickel, but played actually more safety at Washington. He's a lot smaller. Um, he packs a punch though as well. He's a super feisty guy. I think getting a, a guy like Elijah Molden would just be great for your just your uh, your your um, what is the right word? Intense it would make your de- yeah the intensity. It would just ramp up everybody and get everybody else on the defense hyped up. Our Darius Washington is in the same mold for me from TCU. Um, again, a shorter guy. Both of those guys I liken to the Honey Badger, Teron Matthew. They might not be Teron Matthew, but when you look at their measurables and their athletic ability, they fall right in line with what Teron Matthew did. And he's not a guy that's going to be a traditional safety, and neither are these guys. They are primarily probably going to be slot cover and uh, just playmaker type guys. Washington and Molden can both do that. If you're looking for a pure coverage safety, I think 45 might be a little early for Jamar Johnson out of Indiana, but he gave my boy Justin Fields a heck of a time picking him off twice, and he's just a natural coverage safety, free safety for sure. You want to try to avoid having to bring him downhill in the box, which is really his only downfall. So there's a lot of options at safety at 33, 45, and 65. I would not be surprised to see one of these names that we've talked about heading to Jacksonville with one of those picks. But um, again, there's a ton of receivers that could be available here. I wanted to get your thoughts on one that played a lot of football with Trevor Lawrence in college. The Jaguars told him they could use him a lot like Percy Harvin. Amari Rogers. What do you think about Amari Rogers? I I think at that point in the draft, you've hopefully, and I think 
they they definitely should, or I think it's a loss on their end, have snagged a guy ahead of him. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea if if you're still looking for one that late in the draft. And by that late, I mean, you know, third, fourth round. Because of the repertoire that he's going to have with, or not the repertoire, the rapport that he's going to have with, with Trevor Lawrence, but he doesn't stand out to me. He doesn't really, you know, knock my socks off, doesn't really kind of, you know, blow me away with anything I've seen from him that, that I think. Yeah, I encourage you to go back and watch it again because I kind of thought that too, just kind of watching him um, from like Trevor Lawrence tape. But he can run routes. He's physical as hell. Um, he's, you know, He's thick. He's not a tall guy. He's short, but he's very thick. And he's – I think he can be a Swiss Army knife. I mean, like he said, the Jaguars told him they could use him like Percy Harvin. Yeah. <laughs> that tells you quite a bit. And, and that that is quite the honor to be uh, compared to a guy like that. I mean, obviously what he did at, at Florida and what he could have done in the yeah. NFL could not have been understated. I mean, he would have been a crazy player. He's not that level of athlete. No. But when you look at his ability to break tackles, make people miss, I see how they could use him in a similar role. He just wouldn't be to that level. Right. And to, to, to touch on this, as we're getting a little bit deeper here into the draft, I swear, man, either we're on the same wavelength or you read my mind sometimes because we're, we're thinking about safeties. We're talking about safeties. I think that, that safety is a top-heavy position. So I feel like, unfortunately, you know, the guys that are really worth – the picks that we're talking on are, are going to be gone. I haven't watched a lot of Richie Grant, but I'm going to write him down because I'm going to make an effort yeah. to go see some more of his tape, maybe get a better take on him. But I think once you get past the first few guys and, and Richie Grant being one of them, you kind of get into this lull of, of, you know, a lot of these guys can do the same thing. A lot of these guys do one thing really well or, or the other not. So I think as you get later into the draft, my idea was the same as yours. Look for a guy who can get you maybe some nickel time as well. As as safety and and I think a guy that can do that in my opinion um, is Richard LeCount out of Georgia has shown some coverage skills only a coverage guy he tested though. so bad yeah and a lot of that I mean you can go look at guys that have tested poorly I still look at the tape and, You're right and I see what I see you know and that's for me at least you can do the combine you can do the testing you can do all that stuff I think it's just something to keep the NFL relevant during the off season. Obviously, it has some. I'm not saying it's completely useless, but really, what are we doing out here watching these guys run around in shorts? We're going to see what their raw ability is, but until I can see what you do with pads on, with a ball in your hand, or, or in-game action, I, I can't put everything together for you. So, I just worry about him because, like you said, he small. is coverage only. He's small. He's coverage only. He's not going to go out there and, and bust a guy man. up for you, but... No. He's got that flexibility to move into the nickel, you know, maybe some some dimes, some some heavier packages. I think he has pretty good ball skills, but he's lacking in tackling. He should be available much later than the guys we've yes, talked about. I'm thinking like fourth, fifth round. And yeah. also, but on the other end of the spectrum is a guy like Kate Stearns, a little bit bigger, a little bit more powerful, not a great coverage guy, but he'll lay the boom as well. So I just kind of crazy athlete. Yeah, crazy athlete. And I kinda wanted to get into that because you were talking about you know, having a guy who can play nickel. And, and I was thinking the exact same thing, um, you know, when it comes to the safety position, you're going to get a guy that can do both. You're getting two, two uh, secondary positions in one. And I think that's, that's where you got to go. But back to the wide receivers, um, you know, there are guys out there that I think you wait a little bit on a guy that I really think could be a big time sleeper and a guy that they could, they could look at third, fourth, fifth round, maybe a little later, Anthony Schwartz, so, so far, we haven't seen the greatest things from him what on the field. And I just talked about 
I just talked about all the tape and everything. And, and I know that there's obviously some downside of that, but also he has freak speed. If you can figure out a way to get this guy in space, get him the ball, he will run away from everyone. We didn't see it a lot of Auburn, um, but we know he has that track type speed. I, I think he's a guy that a lot of teams are going to sleep on late. And I think he has that elite speed that Urban Meyer is looking to add to the team. That's one facet that we don't have. Yeah. I could really see Urban Meyer wanting to get him in the fourth or fifth round. Um, I wrote about him today. I think it would make a lot of sense. Doesn't have the strongest hands, you know, doesn't necessarily know how to run routes, all that. But this is another guy where if you're a coach on the Jaguars offensive staff, Sanjay Law, the wide receiver coach, just get him in your system because he is a freak. Yeah, absolutely. You you can – I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to say you can. You, you can teach a guy to catch because I don't think. But you can teach a guy, you know, run routes to work on your agility, to work on understanding the offense. You can't teach raw speed can't like that. I think it's you know focus training. I mean, some guys, yeah, they're just going to be a kind of a liability catching the ball. But I think when you're talking about a third round pick with that type of potential, I'm not third round day three pick with that type of potential. Yeah, that's just. Uh, the perfect type of guy to take a shot on. Right. My article today was actually about day three receivers that the Jaguars could target. He's one of them. I think um, Cornell Powell, another Clemson receiver. He's another guy that would make a lot of sense. He is a, a you know, he's got a good size for an outside receiver or a slot receiver. He's six foot, a little over 200 pounds. He was a late bloomer at Clemson, but it's hard to blame him when you had guys like T. Higgins, Amari Rogers, um, Justin Ross, all those guys taking up all these reps at receiver. But down the stretch this year, uh, he had unbelievable production. Uh, I think he had 730 yards over the final six games. He was averaging 18 yards a catch. And then you see his pro day. He was pretty impressive. And you kind of just watch him. I think he's a receiver that's going to be a good contributor in a very good offense at the next level if he gets in the right place. And I think the Jaguars would make a lot of sense for him. Um, he's got enough speed to beat you deep. He was averaging 18 yards a catch over the final six games of the season. So uh, another guy that I think would make a lot of sense on day three and then Amir Smith Marset, he's one of my biggest draft crushes. Have you had a chance to look at him at all? I have not. I have not yet. Yeah, so he's from Iowa. He's six foot, um, closer to one eighty, so a thinner guy. I, he didn't run as well at his pro day as I expected. He ran a four five flat. I thought it would be somewhere in the four fours, but uh, he's another guy, super explosive. When you watch the film, he can beat you deep. So good at beating people deep, just very good route runner in that regard. And then he's also very good when it comes to catching screens and things of that nature. So to me, he's like a budget Deami Brown. I think Deami Brown's going to go second round. And he's, I don't think that Amir Smith Marset and Deami Brown's uh, talent level warrants Deami Brown going at top or middle of the second and Smith Marset falling all the way to day three. You know, a lot of folks have him on day three. I have him I think he's like my 60, 64th ranked player. So like a fringe second round pick. Um, so 
that's another guy that I think would make a lot of sense for the Jaguars um, on day three. Uh, you mentioned Trey Sermon earlier. Yeah. I, I think that would make a lot of sense on day three, too. I know Urban Meyer didn't coach him at Ohio State, but comes from a similar system. You know, Ryan Day came from Urban Meyer. And uh, obviously, uh, there's a lot of Ohio State um, in Jacksonville now, with Brian Stamper had been there as well. I wouldn't be shocked if you go get Trey Sermon, uh, maybe even earlier than some Jaguars fans would like. And he's not the type of guy that's going to be the change of pace back. But you talk about a backfield where defenders just don't want to tackle any of your running backs. If you have James Robinson, Carlos Hyde, and Trey Sermon, good luck. It reminds me. Line. It reminds me of the Giants. Oh my God! Like you had to help me here. It was like 2007, 2008 when they had Earth, Wind, and Fire. It was Brandon Jacobs, Ahmad Bradshaw, and who was the third? Do you remember? You know what I'm talking about? Who else did that? You know what I'm talking I, about, right? I can't remember, but yeah, they had two big bruisers and then one guy out of the backfield who was just you know catching balls and making guys miss and. You know, if you go get Trey Sermon, that's what you've got right there. You know, two big bruisers. I think you were going to, you know, run guys over for you. And maybe you uh, get one more weapon in there and sneak in a, a quick shifty guy. But I know we're about to get towards the end here. So I wanted to get a few uh, of your thoughts on a couple things before we wrap up. The first one, the first one is DeMonte Coxie. What do you think about DeMonte Coxie? Because I'm a guy, you know, USF alum, get to see a lot of, uh, of, of American Athletic Conference football down here. It's great. It's fantastic. But seeing a lot of DeMonte Coxie, and I, I think he could be a real sleeper late in the draft. What are your thoughts on him? Have you seen him at all? I honestly have not watched him, so you're going to have to fill us in here. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I implore you to, to get him, to get a look at him. Um, I've got Richie Grant and Smith Marset on my list for the next week to get some, some insight on. But I like DeMonte Coxie, man. I think he has a rare blend of size and speed that I think some of these guys don't have. He's got... Some deficiencies, obviously. That's why he's going to be a later round pick. He's not great with routes, doesn't have the quickest feet, but he gets up to a pretty good top speed. Uh, he's bigger, not very easy to tackle. Reminds me a lot of LaVisca Chenault, to be honest with you, with a little bit more size um, and probably not as great route running. But it's a guy that I think late in the draft could be another playmaker, uh, another guy. I mean, he's not as big as his Trayvon Grimes, but he's thick. He's got size. I think he's going to be. Yeah. A good player. He in tested the pretty poorly. Do you know if he's dealing with any injuries or anything like that? I don't off the top of my head yet to look, but I but tested really bad actually. I do think there's something again. And that's not everything. I know guys can go on to succeed. No, no, yeah, but... yeah. He um I wanna say he was dealing with something either last year or the year before. I think there was a game where he didn't play against USF. I'll have to look into that more. That's interesting that you bring that up. I don't I don't remember anything off the top of my head. Yeah, like he ran a four seven seven forty four bench press reps, Again, 30 inch vertical. He could probably work on the he doesn't have the quickest feet, the explosiveness, but get him in the open field and, and he'll get you there. You know, this I think is a guy that you're talking about very late. Yes, yes. I'm talking later rounds can make an impact, can be surprise some people, fifth, sixth, seventh round here. But I think it, it's it's really a fine line between explosiveness and speed. You know, you want to say a guy doesn't test well in the forty because he ran a four five four six four seven. I get that, but yeah, that's a lot different from the right. The, the explosiveness, might, but you know, there's that's one aspect. When you look at the open field, 
making guys miss, tough to tackle. That's something you can take on that as well. You know, I've seen a lot of guys who may yeah, not, if he can play, can play. May not run the quickest 40, but you can, you know, break out in the field. So I think I implore you to look at some of his tape. Um, yeah, again, it's, it's not stellar, but it's something that I think later in the rounds they could definitely uh, get a look at. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted your opinion on before we wrap up here, give me one guy, one guy, or maybe a couple if you've got a couple there, but who is somebody that you want the Jags to absolutely stay away from in these later rounds? And then who is somebody that you think would be the steal of the draft in these later rounds? So two things. Yeah, I like that. Um, You know, it's hard for me to say a guy that I absolutely would want them to stay away from because when you look at value, like, okay, I I don't want this guy in the third round. I definitely don't like him there. But if you can get him in the seventh round, do I like him there? Probably, you know. So I don't think there's any players that I'm just absolutely out on. Um, You know, Micah Parsons is scary, and I know that's not a late-round pick, but his off-the-field issues are very concerning. But uh, I will go ahead and talk about maybe some guys that I think could absolutely be the steal of the draft. And I know I'm not the only one who likes Tay Gowan. He's kind of come on. I've had him in my top 100 for a really long time. Now some of the other bigger pundits are doing that as well. He's a cornerback from UCF, very long. He's got plenty of speed. He only played one year of college football. He transferred over to UCF, played that year, and then that was 2019. 2020, he uh, got tested positive for coronavirus and gave it to his newborn and then gave it to his grandma, his whole family. So he ended up opting out, had a really rough go of like, you know, trying to navigate all that. And so he's a guy that he just has all the physical traits. He played really well in 2019. And um, you're looking for a long cornerback to potentially become a starter. I think Tay Gowan. If he's there on day three, I think that's an easy pick for one of the steals of the draft. Um, I think Amir Smith-Marset, I mentioned him already, but he's another guy. If you're able to get him on day three, I think he could absolutely be a steal. And honestly, when you look at these position groups, wide receiver, there's going to be steals on day three of the draft. So deep. Cade Johnson, he's wide receiver from South Dakota State, absolutely tore up the senior bowl. Nobody could cover him. Um, he's not big, he's not fast, but he's going to be a very good slot receiver at the next level. Um, Josh Palmer, he's a guy from Tennessee. He was torching Patrick Sertan when they played against Bama this past year, and he's a guy that could be available on day three. He's a big-bodied receiver. There's no way he should be available on day three. That's a guy that has like legitimate starting potential. Um, and Terry is another one I wrote about. He's 6'3", uh, over 200 pounds. He had some struggles this year in FSU. But before that, he was averaging 20 yards a catch. He had nine touchdowns in 2019, eight in 2018. He's a big play waiting to happen. 6'4", yeah, uh, 210. Massive, massive yeah, he, catch radius. He ran, And he has long arms as well, over 33-inch arms for a guy that high that's really good. And he ran, I believe, a 4'4", 40. So, I mean – yeah, unbelievable athlete that you could get later on. Um, Demetric Felton, he played a lot of running back at UCLA. He's got, 
you know, five, eight and a half. So he's running back height, but he's 189 pounds. He's going to do a lot of Naheem Hines type stuff at the NFL level. If you can get that in the third round, makes a ton of sense. Um, so there's just so many guys to go through in receiver at tight end. If the Jaguars fail to get a tight end early, um, Sean Byer, he's a guy kind of similar to uh, George Kittle. He's not as athletic as George Kittle, but a tight end from Iowa who did not get enough um, pass catching experience. He only has 18 catches, I believe, but he's a good athlete that if you're talking about getting him late in the draft, he could turn into a legitimate starting tight end. Um, He could also end up, you know, being nothing because you just don't know. You haven't seen him enough when it comes to being a receiver. Um, I, we didn't talk about Hunter Long. I think he's a discount Pat Fryermuth. If you get him on day three, if you haven't gotten a tight end yet, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think there's some edge guys that could could be impact players when you look at uh, day three of the draft. Um, I love Jonathan Cooper, and uh, Urban Meyer recruited him to Ohio State, so they have a connection there. Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa, he tested out of this world, played very well at the Senior Bowl, played very well at the lower level of competition, so he's another guy I'd be keeping an eye on. Um, a guy that comes up a lot, Okay, here's a guy I'd probably be out on at any point in the draft. Shaka Tony. He's from Penn State. Um, Interesting. 6'3", 238 pounds, edge rusher. He's tiny. And uh, basically, if an offensive tackle knows what he's doing, he just hasn't had a shot. One arm. Um, one yeah, arm. That's all just, it takes. So um, These dudes bench press that with one arm. Yeah, I, I'm not in on Shaka Tony. I would not take him at any point in the draft. So I'm glad I'm going through these edge defenders. <laughs> I can give you an answer on that. Yeah. <laughs> but there's just so many, so many day three guys. I know a lot of people kind of talk about this draft, not being as deep as a lot of them because you have guys staying in school because they didn't get to play last year, et cetera, et cetera. I think this draft class is plenty deep. I think there's 200 plus good players. Um, and obviously the draft is an imperfect science. A lot of these guys aren't going to work out, but that doesn't mean that they aren't decent prospects um, going into the draft. Absolutely. You can never, I mean, well, I don't say you can say never, but one of these guys, one of these top guys who's a great prospect, somebody's not going to make it. It's just how the game works. Several. Not everybody's going to make it, but, you know, the, the, the chances are better than not. And like you said, I think there are over 200 players in this draft who, who, can really be players in the league, solid rotational guys at the very least. It is so deep. Three names that I implore you to keep your eye on, um, and you can let me know with your instant reaction on what you think. First is Raheem Boyd. Um, dude runs the ball. I haven't watched him. Love the way he runs the ball. little inconsistent. Uh, his motor may be a little inconsistent, but the dude runs the ball just angry. Love it. Take a look at him. Uh, yep. The second one, and, and now I – so this, this would be really, really late. Probably more of an undrafted free agent signing, but uh, Luke Farrell, tight end out of Ohio State. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Blocking tight end. He has the connections, obviously, to Ohio State and just huge body. 6'6", like 265. Massive, massive, massive mountain of a man. If you go get a guy like, you know, Tremble even 
or, you know, Farmy, whoever, you know, pair him up with a big blocking tight end. I think you need one of those. I think he would fit that. Uh, and then last but not least, and, you know, that's a connection. Yeah. Connections are huge yeah. for this. The Ohio State connection. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get drafted, which, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get drafted, comma. Same. I wouldn't be surprised if the Jaguars are the first ones to call the undrafted free agent market for him. It's going to be the connection there, he said. And then last but not least, Paulson, um, Adebo, cornerback out of Stanford. Not super heavy, not super thick, but very, very long. He plays long. I think he's got a great chance as well to be a sleeper late in the draft. Yeah, uh, he's interesting. I think he fits best with like Seattle cover three type system. That's fair. Um, I'd be, and it, I have no idea where he's going to go because he didn't play in 2020. He's a guy that if he went out in the draft last year, he might have been like a second round pick. Mm -hmm. Um, Played really well as a freshman even before that, but hasn't really matched that level of success since then. So I've watched a lot of him. He definitely has ball skills. I think he used to be a receiver. He he's definitely worth a shot if he's there on day three. Yeah, and then obviously the Sean Wade connection can be made as well. But yeah. I think we should keep our eye on. But those are those are my guys. I think might be might be sleepers toward the end. Yeah, you know if there's a guy that can maybe get the most out of Sean Wade, it's probably Urban Meyer. Um, I don't think you draft him as an outside corner or maybe even as a nickel corner. I think he big nickel. His best projection is at safety. I like, I like, I don't, why don't we get back to the big nickel packages more, man? I, I really think that the league is moving in a direction where you, you're going to need that. And I think having a big, I know it's probably a bad example, but a Brandon Browner type that you can walk down in the box. He can play over top and he's effective, but you can walk him down to the box and he's just as effective if you, if you line him up in the middle there with Miles Jack. Yeah. And he's a Jacksonville kid. Um, if there's a team that's going to take a shot at him late in the draft, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the Jaguars, yeah. even though that's another one where I'm kind of just like, Oh God, if he last year of film is just, it's horrendous. like, it comes down to, you know, a guy like that needs to be in the perfect place. And yeah. is this not the perfect place? Yeah. He's a top flight recruit, you know, from Jacksonville. I'd be really happy to see him get his career turned around, but another guy that's a little sketchy. <laughs> for sure um a couple things just not about players but uh i know i just mentioned this i think with almost all the picks you're going to see connections whether it's someone that urban meyer recruited or coached or one of the assistants recruited or coached or someone on the staff is close with this person's coach from college i just don't think there's going to be very many picks where there's not a clear connection where urban meyer is going to be like yeah we talked to his coach on the phone or like yeah, we know him very well, you know, things like that. Um, I think perfect scenario, you're getting uh, at least one big-time contributor for the defensive front, uh, a playmaker or two on offense that are going to contribute immediately, and a potential starting safety or nickel. I think if you get that, you can start looking at a team that can really compete in 2021. They said it best on Good Morning Football, and, and I've echoed this sentiment before. I think this team is one that can prepare brace and compete this year not next year not in three or four years this year coming up i think they really have a chance to do it yeah i do too and i can it's going to depend on what they do in the draft Uh, my concerns basically are you know that balancing act between myers desire for immediate impact and bulky's bpa approach how will that mesh 
And then um, both of you and I agree with this one. Offensive line should be more of a focal point than I think it will be. Hopefully they prove me wrong on that one. But like everyone is fine for this year on the offensive line. I'm okay with this year's offensive line. But having a backup plan for like Jamar Taylor and a future plan in place because you've got guys that are coming up on expiring contracts, that would just make too much sense to me. And I just hope that they kind of, you know, take that into consideration. We'll get there. I think uh, the tides are turning, man. The tides are turning. We're going to get there. I think we're going to get there quicker than a lot of people think. Yeah, hopefully. So that's going to do it for the show. Had a lot of fun. What are we at? Hour and 30 minutes. Got to love it. I'm about to get fussed out by my wife if I don't get out of here. I got to cook dinner, so we're in the same boat. (laughs) We're going to get going. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review if you enjoy the show. Those help us out immensely. Again, shout out to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. Enjoy your weekend, Duval, and get ready for Trevor. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.